You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha and welcome. So thankful for you taking the time to join us here. And even though we are not physically gathering. I'm just so thankful that we can still digitally do this and um, just the ability to do so. Super thankful in the midst of all this that God is still moving and he is reaching people that maybe never would come to church. Maybe that's you watching right now. I'm just thankful that despite how difficult this season is that God is still moving. And if you're new here, super grateful that you would join us. Um, I'm Riz, I'm the pastor here at Reality Honolulu, and I'm just so blessed to be a part of this ohana, um, d- even through all these hard times. Just so grateful to be a part of this family, this church family. And uh, if you're new, super grateful and thankful that you'd spend our su- your Sunday morning with us. Um, I bet you wouldn't believe it if I told you that today marked exactly six months of us doing this. Yes, this is the 26th online church, exactly half a year. Um, And if it's felt like a while, it's because it has been. And um, it's crazy. It's crazy that we've been doing this for six months, Um, but I'm praying that you're experiencing the Lord even in the midst of us not being able to do our normal thing in Aliolani. Um, But in light of this unknown length of this COVID season, right, that we're all in, um, I can't encourage you enough to get plugged in and participate in the life of the church as much as you can. Uh, Especially if you're new, um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, There's many ways you can do that. You can either email us just at alohaatrealityhnl.com or just message us through any of our social media channels. But we just love love to meet you and get you plugged in and make sure that you, um, as much as can be, plugged into the life of the church. And so prior to getting in to the word of God this morning in our time, uh, let's go ahead and pray together. Join with me. God, thank you so much for this time that we have, this time that we have in your word together. Even though we are physically apart, we are together in the spirit, and it's because you do that. You're able to unify us and unite us um, as we gather around you, Jesus. And so, God, we ask that you'd have your way with us. We want all that you have. Nothing less, nothing more. We just want what God's will is for us today. And so God, through your word, um, give us understanding to it, but also teach us what it means for us. Allow us to glean from it and pray into it to see the realities of your word come alive in our midst. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, we are back into the book of Acts, and so if you do have your Bible, would you please grab it or open up your Bible app and open up to Acts chapter 11. Acts 11, 19 through 30 is going to be our verses this morning, and um, we're not going to read it quite yet, but be ready. So Acts 11, verse 19, uh, NIV translation is where we'll be. But before we start reading and digging in, I want to try to explain the setting of our text today, kind of continuing from last week or giving it some context for us before we jump right in. And, And last week, what we looked at was there was this big change or this really this revelation that happened in the early church. And what we saw last week was the profound and 
history-changing lesson that not only Peter, but the ethnically Jewish early church learned. And it was this, that the gospel or the good news of Jesus was meant to be for Gentiles, non-ethnically Jewish, people as well. That there was to be no partiality or, or no favoritism to any certain group of people. But the truth was that, that repentance of sins and salvation by Christ was for all people, regardless of race or ethnicity, class, nationality, you name it. And this was the start of a radical move of the Spirit where the truth of Christ would spread to the far parts of the entire world and to all peoples in it. And again, it was exactly like Jesus said it would. Right? Remember back to Acts 1.8, right before he ascended to heaven, he, he took the leaders of the church, this, the, 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 before even Pentecost happened, before the Holy Spirit, Spirit fell on the church, he took the followers of, of, of Christ and he said, I want you to be my witnesses to not only Jerusalem, not only your hometown, not, not only your own people, but then to Judea and Sumeria. But not, don't stop there. I want you to take this good news to all peoples everywhere, to every tongue, tribe, and nation, to the ends of the world. We see this happening here last week, and today our story takes us 300 miles north of Jerusalem to a town called Antioch. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to see not only has salvation come to all peoples, not just ethnically Jewish, but now all kinds of different ethnicities and cultures, all these Gentiles are getting saved. But for the very first time, what we see in Antioch is the very first multicultural, multi-ethnic Christian church that has started. Um, pretty exciting. Because up to this point, Right, the early church, the church that we've seen thus far in the book of Acts, has been primarily, if not solely, all Messianic Jews. These were ethnically Jewish people, but they believed in Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah. But now we see for the first time here in Antioch, Jews and Gentiles from all over worshiping and following Christ together in community. And what this church did that we're going to see today is they, they broke every cultural, every traditional, every religious, and every social norm there was. To say that it was revolutionary, what's happening here in Antioch with this church, would be an understatement. But let's read the text and get into it. So Acts 11, uh, 19 through 21. I'm just going to read a few verses. We'll talk about it, and then I'll read some more and talk about it. You, you get the picture. Uh, it says this, Acts 11, 19 through 21 says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, right? Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8, there we saw that, traveled as far as Phesinia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. And some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, to Gentiles also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Okay, so just to kind of 
give some context. I first want to talk about the city of Antioch and give us some understanding there. And so to understand Antioch, here's what it was. Antioch was the third largest city at the time in the Greco-Roman world behind Rome and Alexandria, and it boasted some 500,000 people, really big city at that time. Uh, it bore the nickname the Queen of the East. Uh, it was this cosmopolitan uh, and commercial hub. It was the capital of Syria, and it was also the base uh, for the Roman military. Um, Antioch was 300 miles north of Jerusalem and about 30 miles inland east of the Mediterranean Sea on the river there, which is now south um, southeast Turkey. And what made this city so diverse, uh, remarkably diverse, is that it was a crossroads and kind of a major highway going from north to south to east um, and between Greeks and Romans and Syrians and Jews and Arabs and Egyptians and Africans and Indians and Asians, um, all populated Antioch, major hub. And if that wasn't already culturally diverse, it was also very religiously diverse because of all those different cultures. Um, it was pluralistic, it was idolatrous, um, it was even called like the home of the gods um, because several Greek deities were, were worshipped there, Zeus, Apollos, Poseidon, um, and more. And kind of this climate made it uh, Antioch such a great place for a church. You may not think that, but there's, if, if, if the gospel takes root, if people are discipled, if the word is spread, I mean, the whole world is in that place. And so uh, the effects, and because it's a, a transient trade city, I mean, people get saved in that city, the, world, the word of God is going to spread all over the world. John Stott notes that there was no more appropriate place that could be imagined either as the venue for the first international church or as the springboard for, the whole, for, for all of the worldwide Christianity movement. Pretty incredible. And Luke would later show us that this church in Antioch was actually a launching pad for worldwide missions. Um, it came the base for, for Paul's missionary's journey with, with Barnabas, going to see that in Acts 13 and Acts 14, and also it was a subsequent base for his journey with Silas. We see that in Acts 15 and Acts 18. It was just this international hub. And what we'll see is that this single church here had incredible significance for the entirety of the, the world Christian movement, um, whom, whom we're recipients of, right? The, the, the church in Antioch, not the mother church in Jerusalem, is actually the church that ends up changing the whole world. And don't get me wrong, like the early church that we've studied, the Jerusalem church, was wonderful. And it should be appreciated for its uniqueness and its power. But it had its challenges when it came to evangelizing non-Jews. And now Antioch, by contrast, was this international church reaching every kind of Thus, this church in Antioch becomes a model example for every church going forward, including us. And really the makeup of the church there with its diversity looks forward to what heaven looks like. Because you have to remember, heaven just isn't filled with one certain type of people or ethnicity or nationality. 
what we see in Revelation chapter 7, the picture, the perfect picture of heaven that we get shown is that heaven is filled with every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping the Lord together. And so in a nutshell, what the church at Antioch was, was a multicultural, multi-ethnic community gathered around Jesus, and it really was a glimpse of heaven on earth. And what we see here is that God was working radically and profoundly in the city and the church there. And in in the midst of diversity, there was such beautiful unity of the Spirit and a common worship of Jesus Christ. And there's really, today, there's really three things that I want to point out that they did that in order that we might glean from and learn from and continue to grow into as a church, church like them. Here's my three points. Um, if you have notes, number one is we're going to look at the way in which they evangelized. Number two, the emphasis they had on evangelism. And number three, their active participation in helping others in need. So first, the way in which they evangelized. So in verse 20, we see something new developing. Right? It says there that some men of Cyprus and Cyrene, northern Africa, arrived in Antioch and courageously preached the good news also, it says, to the Hellenists. These are Greeks or Gentiles. Uh, Tim Keller calls these evangelists mavericks. Um, F.F. Bruce and John Stott, as they commented on this, referred them as daring spirits. And here's why. Um, The men who had traveled from Africa are spreading the gospel among Gentile unbelievers. And the reason why this is so profound is that, you know, what we know is that up to this point, Peter had preached to Cornelius, a Gentile. We saw that last week. But no one, as far as we can tell from the history that that Scripture records, has acted strategically and intentionally to preach to the Gentiles up to this point. And so this is the very first time that people are going out of their way to a people group or sets of people groups to tell them about Jesus. Right? Because thus far... What's happened, how Christianity has spread, is that the disciples who fled from persecution in Jerusalem had confined their kind of evangelizing activity to other Jewish communities um, that they knew of, right? They're, they're, They're in Jerusalem, they're being persecuted, they scatter, and so where do you go if you have to leave your hometown? You go to something familiar. You have a family member or a relative or another Jewish community. You go to what you're comfortable with and who you know. And as they were scattered, the church did that. Members of the communities that they went to were primarily Jewish like themselves, and so the idea that the gospel, for the early church, the idea that the gospel could have any relevance for non-Jews was not one that would come naturally occurring to them. That idea that we would even go out of our way to a people that are different to us to share the gospel. But in Antioch, right, these mavericks, these daring spirits among them, these men of Cyprus and Cyrene took this momentous step 
forward and seeing the gospel go forth to all people. And one of the reasons why this, this, this evangelism was effective was because of their culturally-minded uh, engagement that they had. See, we don't see in them any idea of like an anti-Gentile bias. We, we did that actually with Peter, and we've seen that in the early church thus far. We've seen that in the New Testament thus far. But here we don't. When, when we see this happening, it, it really does appear that they, that they knew how to be all things to all people, to meet each person where they were at in their unique culture. And the truth is, on that note, often... When, when a person or a people have been so restricted or they've lived amongst a deeply religious culture, we often find that they have a difficult time evangelizing another culture. When you're so used to, when you're so entrenched, when, you, when you've been inside one culture and one religion and, and your, your whole life, you have a difficult time evangelizing another culture. And largely because often well-intentioned, people care more about maybe protecting their own way of life that they're comfortable with um, than they do about sharing with others who may bring all kinds of new challenges into the Christian community they should um, as they accept the Lord or they, or they do when they accept the Lord. And there, there has been a real difficulty in navigating this for Christians, being of one culture, going to another culture to evangelize, there's been a real difficulty doing this for really the last 2,000 years of world missions, specifically the last few hundred years as a Christ, the world Christian movement has expanded um, to the ends of the globe. But something else that tells us that they catered the gospel to their unique audience was the way in which they presented the gospel. Let me, let me share with you. It's how they approached their unique audience here in Antioch. And see, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, it says, went about proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. See, it's important to know that word Lord there. See, they didn't preach about Jesus as the Christ, but about Jesus as the Lord. See, this wasn't a Jewish audience. And even though the church eventually taught the community about the Christ, those who first tried to reach the Gentiles of Antioch knew their listeners wouldn't have much interest in the hope of Israel. Right, this idea of the Jewish Messiah or the hope of Israel or the Christ wouldn't have any significance to them. But this title, Lord, was actually kurios. Uh, the, the original word there was commonly spoken. See, in the many other religions in that city at that time, this, this term Lord or kurios uh, was used in reference to any divine God who could give salvation to people. They had this idea of Lord in other religions. And so what the, these, 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 these 
men from Cyprus and Syrian did was when they tried to communicate with this Gentile audience, they were aware of the culture they came from. And instead, these evangelists were able to tell everyone about the Lord who is the only Savior, that being Jesus Christ the Lord. And so their message was understandable and displayed an awareness of their audience. And, and truthfully, to be a good evangelist, um, we need to know the gospel well, but we also need to consider the interests and the knowledge levels and the culture of our audience. Like for me, growing up on the mainland, growing up in California, being a Christian in California, being a pastor in California, coming to Hawaii to start a church, to see God move in Hawaii in a culture, in a set of cultures that are very different than I grew up. Like, I can't, we can't, just all of a sudden go, oh, I'm going to evangelize or do church or I'm going to do it the same way we did on the mainland. You know that ain't going to work, right? You're like, yeah, it's true. And I, I'm still a huge work in progress to, to really understand and, and immerse myself in the culture here, in the different cultures here, um, to begin to understand more how we can, how I can communicate the gospel in a way that bears much fruit, like it did here in Antioch. Those of you that are locals, keep helping me. I need it. Um, trying to learn. Slow to learn, but I'm trying to learn. Um, Anyway, let's keep on reading Acts chapter 11, verses 22 through 26. I hope, I wish I could be with you to see who's laughing at me right now. It'd be great. One day, we'll be in the cafeteria again. Um, I love you. Text me. Um, verse 22 says this, Acts 11. News of what was happening reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, this is Barnabas, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Okay, so point two. Point two of the sermon right now is, and, and the thing I want to point out, is the emphasis that this church had on discipleship. Okay, so what was happening here? The gospel was spreading. People were getting saved in this Diverse, newly converted believers needed to be discipled. And so what we see here is that Barnabas and Saul arrived to strengthen them. And I want to share a little bit about Barnabas because I think God sending him or the church sending him is really important. So what do we know about Barnabas? Right, Barnabas was a Hellenist from Cyprus. And he could relate to the Gentiles better than a Jewish Palestinian could. And further, what we know of Barnabas is that he loved people. His, his um, gifts gave rise to this nickname, Son of Encouragement. And, and truly, Barnabas was the right man for the job here at Antioch. Um, he wouldn't like quench the fire of the Spirit, that, that what the Spirit was doing there. He wouldn't be suspicious of the enthusiasm of the believers in Antioch. He'd actually applaud it. 
Barnabas was like, uh, like, you know, one of those hype men that was like, keep going, go for it, stay true to the Lord. He was encouraging the believers. And Barnabas truly was the perfect one for the job to do this. Um, one author writes to this, and, he's, and he actually contrasts Barnabas' approach to that of modern missionaries among uh, other cultures. Um, that author says this, Had an inflexible person from the Jerusalem church visited this congregation, he might have made the mistake of past American missionaries. Rather than keeping to the work of helping people get to know the Lord better through his word, such a person might have tried to get the indigenous culture to wear the same clothes, sing the same kinds of songs, and do the same kinds of programs as he preferred. But the goal of missions isn't to impress one culture upon another. Missionaries must help people apply the gospel within their own cultures. The music, dress, customs, and language of Antioch would have been different from those of Jerusalem. But because Barnabas knows the big picture, he can rejoice in spite of the differences, not feeling the need to impress a particular form of church life on the saints at Antioch. Okay, that quote, if you know anything about modern missions, is so good because over the course of modern missions, this has been a huge pitfall. This has done huge damage to so many people around the world. And even here in Hawaii, Right, so much of, if you, if you know the history of Hawaii and American missions and, and, and all that's gone on the last 200 years, so much of the animosity and even the current pain of, of missionaries coming here is because although the good news was brought, which is amazing, which is a lot of good things, unfortunately with it, with, 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 with American missionaries came this idea that Western culture needed to be brought as well and, and Native Hawaiian culture needed to be done away with and American culture replaced it. And tragically, parts of Hawaiian culture were frowned upon and taken away because it didn't fit the missionaries' way of living. If you don't believe me, you can even take a, a tour of the mission's houses and you'll hear so many good things. But then there'll be little, little things as you're taking the tour and as the tour guide is communicating some of the ways in which and some of the things that the missionaries wanted to do and did, sometimes you'll cringe because you'll go, oh, wait a second, that's not the gospel. You didn't need to, to do that. You didn't need to, to kind of impose your culture on another culture. But again, that is a whole nother can, which I'd actually love to get into because I'm passionate about it because um, I believe part of our calling as a church, which you've heard me say this before, is to see in this specific area, to see healing and understanding and clarity come to years of pain and hurt when it comes to this area. And again, not only in Hawaiian culture, but also in all the cultures that live here. But again, back to the text, that's for another time. But again, call me, text me, let's talk. I would love to talk more about um, seeing God restore and redeem in that area. But back to the text. Um, and so in our text, people were getting saved by the truckloads, right? Uh, there was so much to be done. 
So soon Barnabas couldn't handle it. He, 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 he went and found um, Saul, which would be Paul the Apostle, to come and to share this responsibility. And when Paul joined him there, what did they do? They dedicated a year of their lives discipling this church. They taught the believers what it meant to follow Jesus um, and, and to prepare them to be sent out to continue to spread the good news to all peoples. They were so involved with learning and following Jesus that actually right here, I don't know if you caught it, is the first time that people were called Christians. And it wasn't by themselves. They weren't calling themselves Christians. It was actually by outsiders who, who, who were literally looking at them. And that word Christian means little Christs. These people, this diverse group of people in the city of Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, we're talking about Jesus so much. Their life was, was trying to be like Jesus is so much that they got the term Christians, little Christs. Pretty incredible. And what defined and what unified this diverse group of little Christs, what was it? What unified them? It was that they gathered around and focused upon Christ. And all the, the uniqueness, the beauty of their different cultures and the expressions of their cultures just added to the beautiful representation of all of God's people worshiping Jesus. And again, this pointed to one day in heaven what it would be like. Okay, let me, let me kind of round this up a little bit. Uh, let's just read the last few verses and, and I'll say a few things. Acts 11 27 through 30. Uh, it says, During this time, this is happening, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus, I don't know if that's how you say it, but stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over, over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Um, so this is my last point of what marked the church here. It was their active participation in helping others in need. So what's happening here is that there's this prophecy, right, from this believer that there's this going to be this horrible famine that's going to cover all of the Roman Empire, the Roman world, and there's believers, there's brothers and sisters in Christ in that region that are going to need our support and help. Um, again, this is just simply other believers that are in need. This could be, uh, for us, like an example would be, uh, you know, missionaries overseas or a church in another area is in need of finances or resources, uh, need of support. It would be like us as a church here supporting them. This is exactly what's happening here in Antioch. Um, these believers, as young in the Lord as they were, they began to really grasp this idea of generosity and sacrificial giving. And that's what this section does. This section closes with a glimpse into the hearts of these discipled Christians in Antioch. Right? They were displaying this sacrificial mercy and generosity for those in need that they had never even met. And again, um, you, you would assume, or we can guess here, that it was Barnabas and Saul that was discipling them to be witnesses of Christ in both word and deed. And so as a way of wrap up, 
looking at the church at Antioch. Um, alongside many pastors and many other churches, um, I so desire for this type of church, for us to be this type of church. Um, us pastors, us churches love the church at Antioch so much that worldwide there's many churches that actually have taken the name Antioch. The church at Antioch is such a, a beautiful representation of the diversity of God's people gathered in unity together. Um, Tony Morita puts it this way, describing uh, the, the significance and beauty of a multi-ethnic, multicultural church. He says this, Even today, some assume that one's religion is based on one's ethnicity, social class, or family. But the Antioch followers of Jesus showed the world something beautifully different about Christianity. The church in Antioch was like an embassy of the kingdom of God. Its people gave the world a picture of what Jesus' kingdom, when fully consummated, will look like one day. These individuals of different backgrounds displayed unique values, showed a unique way of life, and pre preached a unique message. Reality Honolulu, I am so grateful for the many ways that our church is like the church in Antioch. Don't get me wrong, we've got room to grow for sure. But in large part, our church is a beautiful expression of a community of multi-ethnic and multicultural group of people gathered around Jesus. And I give, all the God, I'll give God all the glory and credit and praise for that. And church, I want to ask you to join with me on behalf of our church that we, would, that we would pray together that in word and deed that we would continue, that God would continue to make us a church that is diverse in nature, that represents the cultures and ethnicities of the city and of the land we live in, and that we're all about loving God and loving others well, being engaged in discipleship, and actively being generous to those in need around us. Church, as we enter into this time of worship, please stick around um, to worship and exalt Christ in your home but let's dedicate this to prayer. Let's pray that we would be a church like the church in Antioch. We'd be a beautiful expression of God's heart and God's people amongst those that need him most. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God that loves all people. And you desire all people, young and old, men and women, of every tongue, tribe, and nation, to come to know you. And God, we thank you for the work that you've already done at our church here at Reality. We thank you for the church that we're a part of, this local expression of your, of your, of your global church. We thank you for the, what you, you've made us to be already. And God, we want more of you in our church. God, we want you to move and make us more like you. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Pray that... that what you do in our church would be a powerful witness to our friends and neighbors and coworkers, to our aunties and uncles, to those around us, that in such a divided time in our world right now, in such a 
divisive time in our world right now, that we would be a very different and diverse people, but unified around Christ, gathered around you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.